Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Listen, we're freezing. You're going to hear the heater on in the back because Peyton sleeps in a tent. No, 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 not outside. Downstairs, we're going through construction time at the house. And she and she wanted a little privacy, so we got her a really cute, like, I think this is a six-person tent. Yeah, this, well, yes, but I guess what? Let you use it as a room. That is true. Actually, she's right. I did buy it to go camping. But it's a six-person tent. It's cute as heck, and it looks very boho, and it looks, like, old-fashioned-y, but it's, like, blow-up, so you just, like, pump it up, and we thought it was going to be, like, really crappy. And how long have you been in here? Um, a month? It's been a little over a month, I think. Like, probably, like, two months. No, I think it's been, like, five weeks. But anyways, we have not had to pump air in it once, well, when, and the brand is Wise Tiger. And I just Googled um, Boho Tent, but we found it on Amazon. If you just put Wise Tiger Tent, it is so cute, you guys. Well, when did Wise we... Tiger sponsor us? Yeah. Well, when did we have a sleepover? I think it's been like five weeks, maybe even six. It's been a while. Okay, ready? Okay, to the important things in life. Like a series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket, Book of the Third, The Wide Window, Chapter Ten. Yeah, the good people who are publishing this book have a concern that they have expressed to me. The concern is that the reader, like yourself, will read my history of the Baudelaire orphans and attempt to imitate imitate some of the things they do. So, at this point in the story, in order to mollify some publishers. The word mollify here means get them to stop tearing their hair out and worry. Please allow me to give you a piece of advice, even though I don't know anything about you. The piece of advice is as follows. If you ever need to get out to the curdled cave in a hurry, do not under any circumstances steal a boat and attempt to sail across Lake Lacrimose during a hurricane because it is very dangerous and the chances of your survival are practically zero. You should especially not do this if, like the Baudelaire orphans, you have only a vague idea of how to work a sailboat. Count Olaf's comrade, standing in the dock and waving a chubby fist in the air, grew smaller and smaller as this wind carried the sailboat from Democle's dock. As Hurricane Herman raged over them, Violet Klaus and Sonny examined the sailboat they had just stolen. It was fairly small, with wooden seats and bright orange life jackets for five people. On top of the mast, which was a word here meaning the tall wooden post found in the middle of the boat, was a grimy white sail controlled by a series of ropes on the floor and and a pair of wooden oars just in case there was no wind. In the back, there was a sort of wooden lever with a handle for moving it this way and that, and under one of the seats was a shiny metal bucket for bailing out any water that, uh, in case of a leak. 
There is also a long pole with a fishing net at the end of it, a, smish, a, a small fishing rod with a sharp hook and a rusty spying glass, which is a sort of a telescope used for navigating. The three siblings struggled into their life vest, and the stormy waves of Lake Lacrimos took them further and further away from the shore. I read this book. I read this book about a sailboat, Klaus shouted over the noise of the hurricane. We have, we have to use the sail to catch the wind. Then it will push us where we want to go. Would you go on a boat in the middle of a hurricane, Pay? Mm-mm. Oh my gosh, I'd be nervous. And this lever is called the tiller, Violet shouted. I remember it from studying a naval blueprint. The tiller controls the rudder, which is, the belo- which is below the water steering the ship. Sunny sat back and worked the tiller. Klaus, hold... Klaus Hold the atlas so that we can, you can tell us where we're going. And I'll try and work the sail. I think if I pull on this rope, it controls the sail. Klaus turned to the damp pages of the atlas. 104. That way, he called, pointing to the right. The sun is setting over there, so that must be west. Sunny cried to the back of the sailboat and put her tiny hands on the tiller just as a wave hit the boat and sprayed her with foam. Carg term, she said, which some which meant something along the lines of, I'm going to move the tiller this way in order to steer the boat accordingly to Klaus's recommendations. The wind wrapped around them and the wind howled. And a small wave splashed over the side, but the orphans it to the orphans' amazement, the sailboat moved in the exact direction that they wanted to go. If you had come across the three Baudelaires at this moment, you would have thought that their lives were filled with joy and happiness because even though they were exhausted, damp, and in a great deal of danger, they began to laugh with triumph. They were so relieved that something had finally gone right that they laughed as if they were at a circus instead of in the middle of a lake and in the middle of a hurricane and in the middle of trouble. As the storm wore it, wore itself out, splashing waves over the sailboat and flashing lightning across their heads. The boat sailed the tiny boat across the vast dark lake. Violet pulled the ropes this way and that, and to catch that wind, which kept changing directions, as the wind tends to do, Klaus kept his eye close on the atlas and made sure that they weren't heading off course to the wicked whirlpool of rain chorus rock. And Sunny kept the boat level by turning the tiller whichever violet signaled and just when the evening turned to night it was too dark to read the atlas and the Baudelaire saw a blinking light of pale purple the orphans had always thought lavender was rather sickly color but for the first time in their lives they were glad to see it it meant that the sailboat was approaching the lavender lighthouse and soon they'd be at curdled cave the storm finally broke the word broke the word broke here means begins here means ended rather than shattered or lost its money and clouds parted to reveal its almost full moon the children shivered in their soaking clothes and stared out at the calming waves of the lake watching the swirls of inky depth Lake Lacrimose is actually very pretty, Klaus said thoughtfully. I never noticed that before. Sinned, Sunny agreed, adjusting the tiller slightly. I guess we never noticed it because of Aunt Josephine, Violet said. We got used to looking at it through the lake through her eyes. She picked up a spyglass and squinted into it. 
and she was just able to see the shore. I think I can see the lighthouse over there. See that dark hole in the cliff right to the next of it? It must be the mouth of Curdled Cave. Sure enough, as the sailboat drew closer and closer, the children could just make out Lavender Lighthouse and the mouth of a nearby cave. But when they looked into its depths, they could see no sign of Aunt Josephine or of anything else for that matter. Rocks began to scrape the bottom of the boat, which meant they were in very shallow water. Violet jumped out to drag the sailboat onto the craggy shore. Klaus and Sunny stepped out of the boat and took off their life jackets. Then they stood at the mouth of Curdled Cave and paused nervously. In front of the cave, there was a sign saying it was for sale, and the orphans could not imagine who would want to buy such a phantasmagorical, such a phantasmagorical, phantasmagorical, the word phantasmagorical here means all the creepy, scary words that you can think of together. Place. The mouth of the cave had jagged rocks all over like teeth of a mouth of a shark. Just beyond the entrance of the youngsters could see strange white rock formations all melted and twisted together so they looked like moldy milk. On the floor of the cave was a pale and dusty as if it were made of chalk. But it was not these signs that made the children pause. It was the sound coming from the cave. It was a high-pitched, wavering wail, a hopeless and lost sound, as strange and eerie as curdled cave itself. What is that sound? Violet asked nervously. Just the wind, probably, Klaus replied. I read somewhere that when the wind passes through small spaces like caves, it can make weird noises. It's nothing to be afraid of. The orphans did not move. The sound did not stop. I'm afraid of it. I'm afraid of it anyways, Violet said. Me too, Klaus said. Genty, Sunny said, and began to crawl towards the mouth of the cave. She probably meant something along the lines of, we didn't sail a stolen boat across Lake Lacrimos in the middle of a hurricane just to stand nervously at the mouth of a cave. And her siblings had to agree with her and follow her inside. The wailing was louder and echoed off of the walls as walls and rock formations as the Baudelaire's could tell it wasn't the wind. It was Aunt Josephine sitting in the corner of the cave, cave sobbing with her head in her hands. She was crying so hard that she hadn't even noticed the Baudelaire's come into the cave. Aunt Josephine, Klaus said hesitantly, we're here. Aunt Josephine looked up and the children could see that her face was wet from tears and chalky from the cave. You figured it out, she said, wiping her eyes, standing up. I knew you could figure it out, she said. You could, took, and she took each of the Baudelaire's in her arms. She looked at Violet, and then at Klaus, and then at Sunny, and the orphans looked at her and found themselves with tears in their own eyes as they greeted their guardian. It was as if they did not quite believe that Aunt Josephine's death was fake until they had seen it with their own eyes. I knew you were clever children, Aunt Josephine said. I knew you would read my message. Klaus, Klaus really did it, Violet said. But Violet knew how to work the sailboat, Klaus said. With Violet, we would have never made it here. And Sunny stole the keys, Violet said, and worked the tiller. Well, I'm glad that you made it here, Aunt Josephine said. Let me just catch my breath and I'll help you bring in your things. The children looked at one another. 
What things, Violet asked. Why, your luggage, of course, and Josephine replied. And I hope you brought some food because the supplies I brought are almost gone. We didn't bring any food, Klaus said. No food, Aunt Josephine said. How in the world are you going to live with me in this cave if you don't bring any food? Well, we didn't come here to live with you, Violet said, and Josephine's hands flew to her head as she rearranged her bun nervously. Then why are you here, she asked. Stim, Sunny shrieked, which meant because we were worried about you. Stim is not a sentence, Sunny, Aunt Josephine said sternly. Perhaps one of your older siblings could explain in correct English why you're here. Because Captain Sham almost had us in his clutches, Violet cried. Everyone thought you were dead, and you wrote in your will to, in testament that we should be placed in the care of Captain Chan. But he forced me to do that, Aunt Josephine whined. That night, when he called me on the phone, he told me that he was really Count Olaf. He said that I had to write a letter, write out a will, saying that you children would be left in his care. I said if I didn't. I said, what if I didn't write it? And he said he would drown me in the lake, and I was so frightened that I agreed immediately. Why didn't you call the police, Violet asked. Why didn't you call Mr. Poe? Why didn't you call somebody who could have helped? You know why, Aunt Josephine said crossly. I'm afraid of using the phone. Why, I just, I was just getting used to answering it, and nowhere near ready to use the number buttons. But in any case, I didn't need to call anybody. I threw a footstool through the window and then sneaked out of the house and I left you a note so that you would know I wasn't really dead. But I hid my message so that Captain Sham wouldn't know I had escaped from him. Why didn't you take us with you? Why did you leave us all alone by ourselves? Why didn't you protect us from Captain Sham? Klaus asked. It is not grammatically correct, Aunt Josephine said, to leave, to say, leave us all alone by ourselves. You... You can say, leave us all alone, or leave us alone by ourselves, but not both. Do you understand? The Baudelaire's looked at one another in sadness and in anger. They understood. They understood that Josephine was more concerned with gram gramma grammatical mistakes than with saving the lives of the three children. They understood that she was so wrapped up in her own fears that she had not given a thought to what might have happened to them. They understood that Aunt Josephine had been a terrible guardian in leaving the children by themselves in great danger. They understood that they wished they had more that that they wished more than ever that their parents would have never run away. Oh, that their parents, who never would have run away and left them alone, had not been killed in that terrible fire and began all that began all of this misfortune in the Baudelaire's lives. Well, enough grammar lessons for today, Aunt Josephine said. I am happy to see you, and you are welcome to share this cave with me. I don't think Captain Sham will ever find us here. We're not staying here, Violet said impatiently. We're sailing back to town, but we're taking you with us. No way, Jose, Aunt Josephine said, using an expression here, which means no way, and has nothing to do with Jose, whoever he is. I'm too frightened of Captain Sham to face him. After he's done with you, I would think that you'd be frightened of him too. We are frightened of him, Klaus said. But we have to prove that he's really Count Olaf or he will go to jail. Oh, really Count Olaf? So he will go to jail. You are the proof. So if you tell Mr. Poe what has happened, then Count Olaf will be locked away and we will be safe. 
You can tell him, if you want, Aunt Josephine said. I'm staying here. He won't believe us unless you come with us and prove that you're alive, said Violet. No, 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 said Aunt Josephine. I am too afraid. Violet took a deep breath and faced her frightened guardian. We're all afraid, she said. We're afraid that if we meet Captain Sham in the grocery store, we're afraid that when we thought that you had jumped out of the window, we're so afraid to give ourselves an allergic reaction, and we were afraid to steal the sailboat, and we were afraid to make our way across this lake in the middle of a hurricane, but that didn't stop us. Aunt Josephine's eyes welled up with tears. I can't help that you're braver than I, she said. I am not sailing across that lake. I'm not making any phone calls. I'm going to stay right here for the rest of my life and nothing you can say will change my mind. Klaus stepped forward and his trump card and played his trump card, a phrase here which means said something very convincing, which he had saved for the end of the argument. Curdled cave, he said, is for sale. So what, said Aunt Josephine, that means, Klaus said, that before long, certain people will come in to look at it. And some of those people, he paused for dramatic, for, here for dram, dramatic, will be realtors. Aunt Josephine's mouth hung open. And the orphan watched her pale throat swallow in fear. Okay, she said finally, looking around the cave anxiously as if a realtor was already hiding in the shadows. I'll go. Okay, this lady is a whack-a-doodle. Peyton, and she's asleep. <laughs>